Welcome to the Small Business Wake-Up Call, the twice-weekly podcast that will open your eyes to the kinds of insights you can use to better run your business. Come have your morning Joe with hosts Lonnie Shambi and Stan Simpkins, who have the right recipes and ingredients to easily help you cook up a storm for even your toughest competitor. No lectures, no wasting your time telling you how smart they are, and no bullshit. The Small Business Wake-Up Call is going to make you think, laugh, and help you recognize how much money you've been leaving on the table with advice that'll help you improve your quality of life. Lonnie and Stan are small business veterans who will share their individual war stories and experiences, not only from their own businesses, but also from guiding hundreds of other small business owners in over 100 industries. Head on over to sbvirtualroundtables.com where you can connect with Lonnie and Stan and save yourself some headaches. Grab that second cup of joe, or maybe something a bit stronger, and let's see what's on the menu for today. Welcome to the Small Business Wake-Up Call, and here are your hosts, with cups in hand, Lonnie Shambi and Stan Simpkins. Good morning. In this session, we're about, once again, to talk about one of Lonnie's favorite topics, actually two, the first being sales, the second being sin. Hey, hey. <laughs> hey, you'll hear more about that in a moment. <laughs> but in today's session, we're going to talk about how some things you're doing may actually be holding you back from your sales. And while we've talked about the five M's from my book and how each one can influence how you operate and succeed, today we're going to show you something similar on just the sales side of your business. Stan, I call them the seven deadly sins of selling, or maybe not selling. Spiritual success comes from doing the right things. Yeah, like leading a good life, loving your neighbor, doing good works. And most everyone's heard of the seven deadly sins, as originally proclaimed, I don't know, 2,000 years ago or whatever by the early church, as negative behaviors that could be fatal to your spiritual success. In the same way, sales success comes from doing the right things that make customers want to do business with you, at least initially, and want to continue to do business with you over time. But like with spiritual success, there are also some wrong things that can prevent that success. The seven deadly sins of selling are basic, but sometimes not as obvious as the negative behaviors that can inhibit or even prevent your business growth, like the original ones that inhibit or impede spiritual progress. Here they are, with the war stories to help you better understand the telltale signs of the seven deadly sins of selling and what to do get to back on the success path for each one. And Lonnie, I would have loved to be the fly on the wall watching you with your sins as you learned how to sell along your career. <laughs> oh, well, that's another story. We don't have enough time for that show. No, no, no. That's another, that's an entire other, it might be a two-part podcast. All right. So pick a number from one to seven and we'll start with, all right, number one, that sounds good. All right. <laughs> yeah, good. Okay. I like that one. So deadly sin, number one, Lonnie, if you can't relate to this, I know he can't. You don't do your homework about your markets, your prospect, your customers, or even your competition. And you know, competition, that's the big one people miss. Small businesses are really neglectful in that. You and I were doing some research just on our own industry. That's funny. Yes. It's amazing what things you learn. So if you're guilty of this one, it can be a killer, as you know, because it means you're especially not paying attention to what drives your revenue, your market, and the customers in it. This should be part of the foundation for not only how you sell your products, Lonnie, into the market, but how you further develop those products. With the internet, social media, 
There's nothing you can't know. Yeah, I said double negative there. And it's either about your product, your market, your prospect. I mean, think about it. People ask us questions. We go, why are you asking us? And they go, what do you mean? You're the expert. But you got the internet. <laughs> Exactly. Why don't you look there first and save yourself some money? So how do you stay on top of your market? Look around you. See what's changing. How about like reading your industry rags? And how do you stay on top of your competition? And as you said in, in marketing sales session, provider, go to school on them. Lonnie, you love that one. Go to school on your competition and it doesn't cost any money generally. No. Know how they're selling. Like their website gives you everything. Recruiters love websites to list their key executives. <laughs> what a recruiting tool. Oh my like, God. Here, take it's, my people. Yes, okay. exactly. We <laughs> And we'll we, even endorse them for you. We've just been doing research on a whole other thing. And we found a competitor who basically gave us thoughts the about map. how we could better package our services. It's, and reinforcing that what we're doing is even the better thing, yes, believe it or not. Yes, exactly. Because I started talking to people who are attending our roundtables and saying, hey, how would you like some of these offerings? They go, no, we don't want all that. We don't want to pay for all that. We don't have the time for that. And we're not spending the money for all that, for sure. Like, that would be a negative deterrent to me. So I guess the KISS method, keep it simple, stupid. Absolutely. So sometimes it will reinforce that what you're doing is right. Because let's face it, sometimes we wonder when things don't always click. Are we doing something wrong? And we make it, it's like golfing and moving your swing over and over again, six different ways, then figuring out what the hell did I just do right? Exactly. Do you have a way to gather, track, and share Keyword, share the information you gather. I know people, oh, we got tons of information. You ask the salespeople, did you know this? We didn't know that. They don't communicate this. It's amazing. And that happens in virtually every situation. Oh, we had that? Oh, God, I wish I'd known. To some people, CR means can reach my mom. (laughs) (laughs) So if you have a CRM system, customer relation management system, use it. And let's face it, salespeople hate them in many cases. They're so overburdening. They hate documenting anything. It's a sin in of itself. i give you an example of market research. So I had a fairly large fire sprinkler company. They had five locations spread out amongst three states. So the reality was it was five different markets. Not three markets, five different markets because they were so far apart. So there was not a, quote, company marketing plan. There was a divisional marketing plan. Yeah, we had an umbrella to make sure we could take advantage of any economies of scale, not be redundant, have people reinventing the wheel over and over from location to location. But still, we had to come up with five different plans. And we were actually calling competitors indicating that we were a consultant for a client who was looking to build a building there and wanted to know what they had to offer in their fire sprinkler service. And we asked them a billion questions and really learn on the competition and feed that back to the client. That's interesting. To be able to do business in five different geographic markets, that's a big challenge because I'm sure there's not a homogeneous market amongst the five of them. I mean, it's interesting. Well, that's a good point. I might just say real quickly, one and one doesn't equal two. Sometimes it equals 50 because to open up one location is one thing. To open up a second location can be five times as hard and to open up five can be 50 times as hard. Absolutely. And we're going to get to that. One of the deadly sins is, in fact, try not to be too many things to too many people. We'll get to that in a few minutes. Well, deadly sin number two is you don't understand your own sales cycle or manage your sales pipeline very well. I mean, every small business operates with some form of sales forecast or pipeline report that describes current and future sales activity. But that's not enough. 
In fact, it often leads to a false sense of security about how things are going. Too often the sales forecast is we can't handle what we currently have on our plate. So things are going bang, watches, man, short of telling the salespeople to slow down. Well, the interesting thing is mine's a counter to yours. And that is I had a CFO in one of my client situations that basically said that the sales forecast wasn't big enough. The pipeline wasn't big enough. And I said, well, what do you suppose is driving that? He said, I don't think those sales guys are working hard enough. And I said, well, what have you done that's changed how they've operated? Well, maybe, you know, last year we had to cut back some and we cut back marketing pretty dramatically. Do you think that might have had something to do with how sales happened without marketing? We touched on this several podcasts back, but sales and marketing are joined at the hip. And that's really important. And that's why your sales forecast is down because it's marketing that creates the leads. So there. Now, I like to talk about sales cycle because few people really pay attention to that. It's what I call contact to contract. That is from first prospect contact to ultimate customer contract. However you define the sales cycle, it's made up of the steps that lead your prospective customer to close. People call it a sales funnel, call it whatever you like. But you need to understand where prospects are in the pipeline or funnel, however you define it, and how you move them step-by-step through that funnel. Now, it starts with marketing. Is your marketing just shit against the wall? Do you know where their prospects come from, where the leads originate? If you don't know that, then go find that one. That's really critical. Do you have a consistent definition? Like if I ask salesperson number one where this prospect is in the pipeline, is salesperson number two going to tell me the same thing about his guy or they define him the same way? See, it's how they move in the pipeline, in the funnel, or do they go into the funnel and die? I was telling Stan earlier that I had finally reached the point where with one of the turnarounds I was doing, I said to them, okay, here's the forecast. We had a 30, 60, 90 day forecast and beyond. And beyond was like, yeah, there were suspects. But if they hit 30 days, like they were going to close in 30 days, this is a manufacturing company. I told the sales guys, we were going to start to build if it hit 30 days. And if it didn't close within 60, it would cost them their job. Now that's harsh. But what that did is it got the point across. And the point is- It showed you the believers, didn't it? Yeah, it did. (laughs) Well, no, it showed me the guys who could really understand where they were on the sales pipeline. That's the important thing. And this is the whole thing. How do you track leads and the like? The forecast is not something that you should put under your pillow to make you sleep better. It should be something that's actually actionable. Well, if I could put my bean counter hat on for a second and take a play off off off? (laughs) We have this thing called aging accounts receivable when you're doing the cash flow forecast. Yes. I oftentimes see people say, oh, we look at the dollars amount, how much backlog we got. And I go, like, for what periods? They go, what do you mean what periods? They go, like, don't you, can you tell me, like, what's the next 90 days and then 90 days after that? They go, oh. 
And then you'll see the holes. I mentioned in one of our previous podcasts, the machine shop that we grew quickly. And part of that was making sure we didn't have any holes where machines were being idle just because of the work that was being ordered versus what we needed to fill the house with. That's it. So backlog, even by resource, I might add. I used to manage businesses with three reports, a cash forecast for eight weeks, a sales forecast, and a backlog. And the backlog was we knew when stuff was supposed to be shipped. That's it. We tied that all to cash. This is right in your wheelhouse, Stan, because this is what we did. Well, that takes us to number three, which I think you're going to love, which is you don't train or support your sales team. And training's the big one. If training wasn't a problem or a challenge in today's society, why would these people who are doing sales training be saying that non-attended salespeople never read a book on sales, which I believe. Having attended, going back to the early 90s when I went through a national syndication of sales training, I was amazed to see how little the people there who were far more experienced salespeople than I was an accountant at the time. This is like the first course they took, and they were in their 40s and 50s, and they'd been in sales. I was just a child back in the early 90s. Well, oh, my God. <laughs> you were an embryo then, I think. <laughs> okay. So whether you have an in-house team or you're working with distributors or you've got sales agents, salespeople need to be trained and oftentimes not by the people who are there selling because only pass on bad habits. And more importantly, they need to support. You mentioned about doing ride-alongs, tagging along with salespeople and being able to coach them to see what they're doing, not catch them doing something wrong. And as you know, Lonnie, because you were in a lot of high-tech stuff, the more technical the product is, the more work it's needed to succeed with a sale. You know, there's a lot more moving parts to it. No And more question. training that you needed. And it's not just about product sales, or product features, I should say, rather. So what do we train the salespeople on? Product nuances, the little subtleties that will separate you, you know, our USBs, if you will, separate us from the con. Don't assume they're going to know, especially if they're new to the team. It may be obvious to you, but that may not be obvious to them. And if it's not obvious to them, it's not going to be obvious to the customer necessarily. Sales guys, no matter how technical a product is, they ought to know how to demonstrate it. That's going to be an important element to whether they succeed or not. And then one of the things that makes you crazy, Lonnie is making sales aids, sales crutches. Talk about that. Oh, my God. It's like having pitch decks and having salespeople read every line on the pitch deck. I take them aside afterward and say, if I was at the presentation, do you think he could read because you read it for him? Wouldn't it have been better if you had just given him a general and had him ask questions as opposed to just talking at him. So these are little things, but after a while, the seven things kind of add up and they say, your salespeople really need work. Now, there's one last one I want, and I know, Lon, this is your biggie, is you have a highly complicated product. You might want to bring along some of the technical folks to help you. But the downside of it is, is you got to train them. And I don't want to denigrate these people by using the analogy training a dog, but you need to train them when not to talk so they don't <laughs> overwhelm the whole conversation with a lot of technical jargon. It's kind of like when I see the prospect's eyes roll in the back of their head, that's when we know we've given them too much information. Oh, too much money in the machine. <laughs> <laughs> well... When I took the sales training that I did, at least, and I've taken more along the way, but when I got my first introduction to it in the early 90s, we were taught if you ask the right questions of the prospect and they give you their appropriate responses, irrespective of what the question is about, if you've done that right, 
then your responses after they respond should be such that it never looked like you were trying to close it. It exactly. just happened. Exactly. They're almost telling you, well, let's go on with it. It's funny. One of the biggest sales I ever closed was one where we went through a whole maybe five calls where we were talking about this particular service that we were, and we never really talked about the hardware that was necessary. And they said at the end, well, we're ready to go with this. What do we need to do? And I said, well, you need two of those, three of those, four of those, five of these. And it was like, okay, fine. Because we had justified it. Stan talks about bringing the experts in. I had a systems engineer with me the entire way. And it was basically, don't you speak unless it's necessary. <laughs> if I could take a page out of my accounting career, one of the things that you experience as a new accountant is a sense of not knowing enough and not wanting to look stupid. You're inclined to like answer every question the client asks you. And I was taught the hard way it might add a very important phrase. It goes like, that's a great question. Let me talk to my experts and get back to you with more information that you need. That's it. Wow. What an empowering statement it was. Got me exactly. out of a lot of trouble too. <laughs> exactly. Before I begin the fourth deadly sin, we'd like to share this with you. As a small business owner, you face many challenges. You're not alone. What can be even more stressful is not having someone to talk to who doesn't have their own agenda. What if you could talk in depth and confidentially to other small business owners like you on a periodic basis, folks facing the same challenges or who have solved the same problems? The Small Business Virtual Roundtables is the answer for you. Small Business Virtual Roundtables are held monthly for 90 minutes. Membership in each roundtable is limited to 15 people, providing ample time for each member to have their issue addressed by their fellow members. These peer advisory groups are formed to avoid competitive concerns while taking into consideration company size and characteristics that closely match your own business. Need more attention? There is a complimentary 30-minute one-on-one session with the facilitators during the month to seek additional feedback. Monthly membership fees to the Small Business Virtual Roundtables are less than the cost of an hour with your attorney, and this is all done without ever leaving your office or home. Just the time savings of avoiding needless driving is worth the cost. New groups of the Small Business Virtual Roundtables are now being formed on a first-come, first-served basis. Ready to sign up? Head to sbvirtualroundtables.com to receive a complimentary invitation to attend up to three meetings. Again, that's s virtualroundtables.com. With Small Business Virtual Roundtables, there's no need to go it alone. And now, back to Lonnie and Stan. Well, let's go to deadly sin number four. We're past the midpoint, boys and girls, so if you're dozing, don't. The next four of them are going to really wake you up. Okay, <laughs> first, in this one, it's you've got a value proposition that isn't. Now think about that. What is a value prop? It's a promise of value to be delivered. The primary reason a prospect should buy from you. A clear statement that explains how your product solves his or her problem or meets his or her unmet need. That's it. Plain and simple. And it's sell on value, but you have to provide it. But it's kind of like, that's what it's necessary. Credibility is at the foundation of any value proposition, which says if you have an established credibility with that prospective customer, you ain't going to sell them. 
it's back to what we said earlier, and that is relationship first, sale second. Your USP, the unique selling proposition, it's got to clearly separate you from the competition. It just can't be some little simple thing. But then again, it can be something as simple as your user friendliness of your software. You've got thousands of five-star reviews where people are raving how easy it is and how powerful it is. That's pretty powerful USP. Especially if you can show them the return they're going to get on their investment if they do this. If it's put in dollars and cents, and you never want to talk about the competition, but you want to separate yourself from that competition by showing them how they can get this kind of return. Then you've what you've done is you've put your value prop in action. Now, for those of you who don't believe that Lonnie's been through this, if you were able to see him, you'd see the black and blue marks on him right now. <laughs> scars. I still have scars. Which leads me to number five. And this is born of either ego or fear. It's very common when you're a small business and you're looking at the competitors, you want to try to be like them in so many ways. You're kind of jealous of all things you're doing. And so you try to be too many things for too many people. You think you're spreading your bet. You're spreading the odds, like balancing your stock portfolio, between bonds and, and equity. It could be a trap, a terrible trap. And it's especially true for younger companies who are trying to make their mark in the marketplace. Hey, look at us. We're so different. And they're often creating too many features, too many functions, or worse, too many products with too little focus. I mean, just think about it. So ask yourself, what are we doing that's causing us to dilute our own focus, our own prioritization, things like that? Knowing who your market is, is by keeping it sharply on focus, not going all over the place. And don't make your sales pitches a drink from a fire hose. Like they say, if you're talking, the customer isn't buying. Okay. The thing is, just, I mean, when you see the customer's eyes glaze over, that ought to be a tip-off that you're not getting to him. As important, as a business owner, go out on sales calls. Get out of the office. Get in front of the customer. See what your sales guys are doing. And then in a way that's positive, begin to work with the salespeople that on their pitch or what have you, because you probably know the product as well as anybody in your company. That's my guess. Okay. So if they're pitching every single feature and function your product has, that's not going to get the sale done. I guess uh, we'll continue with number six. What do you think? I think that's a good idea, Stan. All right. So your sales team fails to create a relationship with prospects. That's, well, this is a hard one for me to even say because it's hard for me to conceive. How do you have a client, a customer, with whom you haven't developed a relationship? Are you selling a commodity or something? People buy from people. And often the higher the ticket price, the larger the need for building a relationship first. Elon, you talk about it. You mentioned about how you're happy if they never talked about the product in the beginning. Yes. I mean, basically what I tell salespeople on their first call with a prospect, if they never ever spoke about, I mean, beyond telling them about the company, if they never spoke about the product for the entire call, I'm a happy guy. And now you're all kind of, what is this guy talking about? Well, here's what he's talking about. If you didn't talk about your product, it means that if you were in an hour call, then the prospect was talking about his company, his product and service. And you're getting information that's so valuable that the next call you make, you'll make the product pitch 
about him because now you have the information. But you've started by building a relationship because you'll start the next call by saying, hey, George, how did your son do in those SATs that he was about to take? Or how'd your daughter do with that piano concert that she was doing? That's the stuff that really gets a relationship going first. And then the product stuff follows right behind. Lonnie, on that point, it's an interesting thing. Learning how people learn, for example, when you're teaching, you have to know how the student best learns. Some are visual, some order. And even such a thing as asking a, a client or even a prospect, are you a phone kind of guy? Or are you an email kind of guy? What way would you best like me to communicate? Because there's some people who hate email correspondence and some who almost demand it. And not learning that about a prospect or a client could work against you. Believe it or not, as corny as that may sound. Yeah, because if they're expecting you to be following up with emails or a phone call and you don't do it that way, then you're losing them. You've got to make it always about the customer, always. And you can't fail when you do that, unless your product sucks. But that's another story. <laughs> and on that point, I see a lot of people, they get lazy. They rely strictly on email or social media to build a relationship. Like you wouldn't take the time to call me and say hello or something. Or FaceTime. And see, interesting thing is that with the COVID, we basically lost face-to-face -face contact. Zoom is as good as it gets with that. It still doesn't quite measure up to absolute face-to-face. -face. If you can do that, do it. That's the important thing. Taking a tip from Bob Berg, uh, networking way to endless referrals, great learning tool. I think people are forgetting the fact that networking, like actual in-person networking, is valuable. I belong to almost 30 years now, a business networking group, about 60 companies. We meet weekly for lunch and we share leads. It's not about social, it's about getting leads. But one of the things we have as a process tool is what we call the yellow sheet. So if you put in the name of a company and or the name of a person, they'll announce that at the meeting. And anyone who has a relationship with that person will be generally happy to make an introduction or do something that would be helpful to that other fellow member. Interesting. Well, that leads us to deadly sin number seven. God, I, I'm hearing a lot of people just like, oh, finally. And that is you don't follow up or listen to your customer. Hey, once they become customers, you can't just forget about them. Yes. Thank you. He's waving at me. What does that mean? <laughs> the time clock. <laughs> but once they become customers, you can't just forget about them. This is where you kind of develop and deepen your relationship. It's where you create loyalty. But how do you do that? Well, think about this. Create a follow-up program for every time you close a sale with a new customer. Yeah, I mean, not only gives you feedback as to why they bought, but it gives you maybe some ideas about stuff that you didn't have in yours, but you could have done better in the process or whatever. And then there's a counter to that. And that is, I call them, and it's, I got that name way back when. But the point is, I coached a lot and I won a lot. And I used to tell my kids, I wish we had lost more. And they'd look at me like I had two heads. I said, because you don't learn anything from a win, not nearly as much as you learn from a loss. And every single time you lose one, Get in front of that customer again via email, via Zoom, via whatever you can, and learn why 
they pick somebody else over you. Great learning tool and great market tool. Well, I hope that our audience has enjoyed our confessional here. <laughs> I feel like a priest here just la- listening to two guys talking to themselves in the confessional. Yeah, to quickly recap, do a recap the seven of what deadly sins about, that so can prevent your sales. One, fail to do your homework about your market, competition, prospective customers, etc. You don't understand your own sales cycle or manage your sales pipeline. You're not properly training or supporting your sales team. You got a value proposition that isn't. You're trying to be too many things to too many people. Failing to create a relationship with prospects or customers and not following up or listening to your customers. The seven deadly sins of selling can block sales success. Each one carries its own impediments. Hopefully, we've given you some of the steps for new ways to understand them and overcome them. Your sales success depends on it. Stan? It's all yours. Lonnie, you know, I've always said that what we know is there's little that's new to our audience about the topics we share with them. And what we intend is to bring top of mind awareness to you. Let's go back, take some more detailed notes and compare them to your own processes. Maybe even use them as a discussion outline for your sales team. Lonnie and I sincerely thank you for spending your precious time with us. And we invite you to share your war stories, ask questions, and even request an invitation to be a guest at one of our 90-minute virtual roundtables that are held monthly. Come take a test drive and see where it can take you and your business. In fact, we'll allow you three complimentary visits as our guest so you can be confident it's a mutual fit. We can promise you'll feel you're like one of the family sooner than you might expect. Thanks for being with us. Send those requests to info at sbvirtualroundtables.com. See you next time. You've been listening to the Small Business Wake-Up Call, the podcast providing eye-opening insights and perhaps a caffeine high to better run your business, delivered in Stan Simpkins and Lonnie Shambi's own unique style. Head on over to svvirtualroundtables.com where you can connect with Lonnie and Stan, subscribe to the show, find more resources, and check out their monthly 90-minute virtual roundtables. Thanks for listening to the Small Business Wake-Up Call. 